The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Brian D. Estelle. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. So since you're all uh, Greco-files and, and uh, Hebrew-files, um, we have the chance to look at the original text this morning as we uh, progress through here. Uh, my goal this morning is um, to do a, something a little different uh, with morning devotions. Uh, so don't cite me for being a moralist if I don't uh, point forward to Christ. Uh, I'm very jealous that fathers don't have to go out to the vans and finish the sermon after Sunday uh, service. So, um, but nevertheless, uh, I want to enter into a hermeneutical exercise with you for a brief 15 minutes, 20 minutes, uh, thinking about a reading strategy for the book of Job. And uh, James uh, helps us to that end. And I'm very indebted, I should say, giving proper attribution to Professor Seitz's writings on the book of Job uh, for the following message. Is Job an example of patience? I'll read uh, James 5, verses 7 to 11 from the NIV. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming, and see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. Uh, You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is uh, full of compassion and mercy. That's the reading of God's word. If there's any book that can be considered New Testament wisdom, as far as genre, in my view, it's the book of James. There's a lot of wisdom influence from the Old Testament there. Although the new, uh, the NIV version I read correctly translates the word having to do with Job's Uh, perseverance at that point, verse 11. And the ESV, I would say, gets even closer by translating it steadfastness. Many still understand Job to be held forth as an example of patience, uh, especially ever since the King James Version lithified, that is sealed in stone, uh, the translation of the patience of Job. I will suggest that patience really misses the mark. Uh, But what are the reasons for this? Surely it is not merely the influence of the King James Version. There must be something more. So reading Job through the lens of a source critic and getting the problem out front. It's not only the King James Version that has made the notion of having the patience of Job a household phrase. It is the work, although often outside of conscious awareness of most, It is the work of uh, diachronic reconstruction projects of higher criticism that have contributed to this notion. This is the vast and influential project of uh, post-enlightenment hermeneutics that sees the meaning of a text as reconstructed uh, according to one's putative imagination, trying to reconstruct the original horizon 
and that that exhausts the meaning of a uh, particular text or uh, the original tradition history of a text. Uh, consider just two examples from higher critics to catch uh, the gist of this. The first one comes from a Jew, uh, the erudite uh, Professor Ginsberg. He says, the particular virtue of a hero of the framework of Job is unflinching loyalty to God under unimaginably severe trials, or in the phrase which the King James Version of the Epistle of James, chapter 5, verse 11, has made a household word wherever English is spoken, the patience of Job. Building on this phrase, we may say that there are two main strata in the book of Job. Uh, there is in the book of Job the patient, or we can call him JP, uh, and the book of Job the impatient, which we can call JIP, so says Professor Ginsburg. And he has in mind here chapter 3 through 31 for Job the impatient. Um, it's really quite perceptive, so you might remember uh, the extreme contrast between Job the patient in the prologue. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And that stands in stark contrast with the portrayal of Job in chapter 3 through 31. Let me just give you a few quotes from Job. Chapter 10, verse 2, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know uh, why thou dost contend against me, speaking to God. Uh, chapter 13, verse 15, um, or maybe his friends at that point. Uh, 13, 15, behold, he will slay me. I have no help, and yet I will defend my ways to his face, uh, speaking of God. Uh, 23, verse 3, oh, that I knew where I might find him and that I might come even to his seat, 23.3, and uh, perhaps chiefly chapter 31, where he really comes forward in his trial and setting God in the dock, so to speak. Here is my signature, let the Almighty answer me, chapter 31.35. Now that drastic change in tone has led uh, commentators to express appropriately two very different portraits of Job. Here's another example from Marvin Pope of Yale University fame, uh, well-used commentary, and I quote, this traditional view of patient Job, as it is stated in the New Testament epistle of James, chapter five, verse 11, is familiar to almost everyone. It is, however, scarcely a balanced view since it ignores the thrust of more than nine-tenths of the book and appears to take account only of the beginning and the end of the story, close quote. Now the assumption here you can hear from these quotes is that Job is multi-layered. According to this view, there existed the folklore tale of Job found in the prologue, first two chapters written in exquisite prose. And then at some later time, um, um, Job the impatient one comes in and is presented in the poetry of chapters three all the way up through uh, 31. And of course, chapter three begins with this poetry, the memorable curse of Job, uh, cursing his birthday. Cursed, cursed is the day I was born and the night on which it was declared I have begotten a man-child, close quote, and it's downhill after that. Then the poetry breaks in with no less than 29 chapters of banter between Job and his friends, in which he is presented as far from patient, rather the epitome of impatience. Not only do his friends use the retribution principle as a scourge uh, to his back, 
He also demands a hearing with the Almighty, as I mentioned, chiefly in chapter 31. And then the famous Elihu section, uh, chapter 32 through 37, and then uh, the final speeches in 38 uh, through 41, and then the epilogue where he's restored and gets twofold uh, blessings in chapter 42. Now the argument from the historical critical perspective runs like this, and with not just a few very smart adherents. Quote, this folk tale has its literary remnants in the prologue and epilogue, and in order for the old folk tale to make complete sense, a missing episode must be supplied. So in this developmental view or developmental uh, model that has convinced so many scholars, uh, it actually has some attraction to it in that it does solve some of the problems of the text. So for example, and here I quote from Seitz again, quote, on literary grounds, note that this corrective hypothesis is able to account for a great deal of the contents of the present book, both the beginning and the end, as well as chapters three through 31. One, if not both, of the Yahweh speeches can also be included since we expect some answer from God and the dialogues have brought God more fully into the drama, close quote. But does such a reading strategy really satisfy? No, there are problems, chief of which it doesn't seem to have much explanatory power for the most important question in the entire book that comes at verse nine of chapter one. Does Job love me for not? Chinam. In other words, does Job have a disinterested piety? Does he love God for God's own sake? The whole plot of the book unrolls after that question. Verse 10 explains or exegetes that question. Hast thou not made a hedge about him, the adversary asks, um, and his house and all that he has on every sign? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand against him and see what happens implied. Now, what about reading Job through the lens of a Christotelic approach? This approach can be illustrated by Trimper Longman's somewhat recently released commentary from Baker on the book of Job. He says to the issue of patience vis-a-vis -vis endurance, and I quote, a better solution might be found in the interpretive tradition of Job that was current during the time of James. It appears that at this time, Job was interpreted as a patient man, close quote. See, in his view, and he's trying to mediate uh, the position of the LXX translators, the Septuagint translators um, of Job, that seem to, and I quote Longman, transform the Job of the poetic sections from a bombastic doubter into a pious and preserving sufferer, close quote. And then he goes on to note the following. It appears that the New Testament does not always use the Old Testament according to strict historical grammatical interpretation. Sometimes the New Testament will cite the Old Testament according to the then uh, old, or according to older and then current interpretive traditions. Okay, if you're familiar with Christotelic uh, hermeneutics, this is uh, right in that vein. He goes on, modern interpreters of Job should not be bound to conform their understanding of the New Testament's use of the Old Testament, close quote. Not surprisingly at this point, he cites uh, PNs in the footnotes. 
Inspiration and Incarnation, page 113 through 166, for insightful study of the use of the Old Testament in the New Testament. What about reading Job against um, its background as a canonical whole? In other words, assuming that the book came as a unity and assuming that uh, James is reading it as a canonical whole. And uh, according to the philological rigor of the context of James in and of itself. So now I encourage you to look at the passage that I handed out to you on James. Let us look at the grammatical historical analysis of James 5 itself. If you look at the beginning of that passage you read, chapter 5, verse 7, James 5 is very concerned to encourage a strong faith until the second coming. Uh, this is clear from chapter 5, uh, verse 7. Look at the words he uses. The farmer must be patient, makrothumon, in the meantime, while he waits. He must wait for the right rains. So the early rains, which would fall about this time, late October, early November, or a signal or a cue to the agricultural farmer there in Palestine, it's time to sow seed. And then he must wait for the latter rain. And the latter rain is vital because even if you have heavy winter rains, it's the rains in the spring that carry the harvest all the way through. And even if you had heavy rains, you might not have a fruitful crop if you don't get those uh, latter rains. So too, James says, believers must be patient. Uh, Makra through mesate and establish their hearts, 5.8. The seed of the first planting, that is the first coming, has occurred, but now believers must be patient for the second coming. As an example of this, first the prophets are referred to for their steadfastness. Um, there James says, we consider blessed those who have persevered, hupo uh, menantas. Only now is Job introduced. But what is strange, despite what may be called at this point all the metaphorical priming about patience, is the fact that James uses a different term now to refer to Job's character. Notice you have uh, this new term first introduced that clarifies the patience and the sufferings of the prophets. But all the previous terms for patience now are not used. Rather, a new Greek term is used which would better be translated steadfastness, hupamone, uh, followed by the latter uh, phrase about the compassion and mercy of God, which seems to be a clear allusion to the whole story of Job, uh, namely the restoration in chapter 42. Consider uh, with me just for a moment the range of the meaning of this word. The base meaning is to remain with the notion of stay behind while others go away, or not fleeing. With the former reference, it is somewhat neutral, such as when Jesus remained behind in Jerusalem and his parents left, and this verb is used. In the latter sense, though, there are conditions of hardship that are always present when uh, this verb or the nominal connections with this verb are used, and here it means stand one's ground, hold out, endure, all those senses would capture the essence of what is going on, but not infrequently the same word, hupomone, is used in context where wearing down one's faith is in the orbit of the discourse. Uh, here, for example, a verbal use in Matthew 10.22. You will be hated uh, by all for my sake. 
but he who endures to the end uh, will be saved. Hade hupomenos es talas, Matthew 10, 22. Not surprisingly, the nominal form as used by James here, hupomone, takes on similar meanings, endurance, fortitude, steadfastness. It's often used in context with these other words for patience, uh, like makrothumia, uh, or for suffering, kakopatheia, or distress, lipsless, even as it is here in James 5. But my point is this, brothers and sisters, in such instances, a distinction has to be maintained between these words. Such a distinction between patience and endurance is not even beyond modern English speakers. Endurance is defined in uh, Webster's Dictionary the following way. Quote, to continue in the same state, to undergo without giving in. Patience is defined as bearing pains or trials calmly without complaints. Now in this analysis, patience is very different than endurance. Patience involves an attitude or a kind of emotional disposition, whereas endurance, as Professor Seitz says, involves commitment through time without specific reference to an emotional state apart from the necessity of fortitude, close quote. So what's the upshot of all this? If endurance or steadfastness or something like that uh, is the accurate translation of the term here as applied to Job, then as Professor Seitz says, endurance would be wholly inappropriate characterization of Job and the prologue of Job. Think about it. There patience fits, or you know, there he is portrayed as the patient. But this would serve far better designation uh, to Job's behavior once the poetry kicks in at chapter three all the way up through th uh, 31 in light of the quotes I already read to you. Job the impatient, who nevertheless is steadfast. Uh, going back to the Ginsburg quote on Job the impatient, J-I-P. Uh, the point is that endurance would serve a far better description of Job in the dialogues. So what's the conclusion? It seems clear that James had in mind the restoration of Job that occurs at the very end of the book uh, when he received the double portion of all that he had lost. Uh, reading the book of Job through James' eyes reveals that the book of Job was structured in such a way that its final narrative form coheres from the beginning. It should be read with all the present pieces in place as a canonical whole. Uh, not only does the Christotelic interpretation fall short in this view, furthermore, it seems uh, that James has the full story before him as he thinks of Job, and whereas modern higher critical readings um, with their reconstructions, which separate the prologue from the epilogue and effectively eviscerate the dialogues in between, as Professor Seitz says, and I quote, inevitably miss the central message grasped, grasped by James and his audience that the whole book of Job, with all its parts together cooperating, prologue, dialogues, uh, Elihu, divine speeches, epilogue, tells a compelling story about endurance and its ultimate reward, a story capable of sustaining faith even through the most difficult times of trial. Close quote. You're dismissed. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.
You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.